Wired.com presents The Geek's Guide to the Galaxy. And here is your host, David Barr Kirtley. Hello, and welcome to episode 271 of Geek's Guide to the Galaxy. Our guest today is Zoe Quinn. She's the creator of the popular text game Depression Quest, and her writing has appeared in publications such as Vice and Cracked. In 2014, she became the first target of a massive internet hate mob, which came to be called Gamergate, and in response, she founded the Crash Override Network, which helps provide resources for other targets of online abuse. And we'll be speaking with her today about her new book, Crash Override, how Gamergate nearly destroyed my life, and how we can win the fight against online hate. And now, here's her interview with Zoe Quinn. All right, so we're here with Zoe Quinn. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Okay, so your new book is called Crash Override. So tell us about why you wanted to write this book. Uh, basically, I wanted to write this book because both as someone who's been the target of um, massive online harassment for going on three years now, um, and as someone who's been working to help other people targeted by the same for about two with pe- uh, people like the biggest names in tech and law enforcement and governments and whatnot, um, I thought that, you know, I'm still an engineer at heart. Uh, so if I can automate conversations that I keep having to have, uh, I find myself keep having to have, it sort of seems like a good opportunity for me. Plus, I feel like I just have learned so much from the experience about how to uh, effectively fight back, how, what we can do as people to look after each other and sort of be better digital citizens as well. So it's like, rather than writing just like a book about, you know, bad things that happened to me that, that didn't really interest me, I wanted to use what had happened to me and a lot of other people, because I'm by no means unique, to sort of talk about larger issues and uh, answer the questions that I keep hearing, which is, what do we do about this? Yeah, it was really interesting because, you know, I've heard so much about you over the years, but it was so interesting just to get your story told in your own words at length. And it struck me as sort of strange that I'd never heard it before, but it was so interesting to to finally get it. Yeah, thanks. It's uh, it's sort of weird to me when I was uh, going back and recording the audiobook, um, how much I just had to leave out for length and because I wanted to talk about like the bigger issues and stuff like that. So um, I, I'm almost thinking for the book tour, I might do a little bit of stand up. That's like the stories that are just so ridiculous <laughs> that I just did not have room for. Uh, so what's an example of one of those stories that's so ridiculous? Oh, God. Um, the There was the time that the lead singer of Disturbed ruined my breakfast. Um, because like, uh, Alex Lifshitz, my co-founder of Crash Override and someone who was with me through, um, every step of the big, the like worst of it, um, ended up getting into this argument over whether or not the, uh, the alt-right was anti-Semitic. Um, and I had made breakfast for us and I was like, all right, can you just please stop? I can't believe you're arguing with, with David Draymond. Can you, can you knock it off? Like, please. And it just uh, kind of went on until breakfast got cold. Or there's the time a First Amendment attorney turned Jew salesman um, spent over five figures hiring a private detective to try to follow me around and dig through my garbage. Yeah, you mentioned that in the book. I mean, there's just so. Oh, many- I did. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's just so, and there's just so many things in the book that are just so surreal or bizarre. Um, and I think one of the things that really struck me was how you explain the psychology of of some of the these internet hate mobs in a way that's really really interesting and one thing you say is that i think people sort of imagine that these are all angry teenagers and you say that that's not actually the case oh absolutely not i mean if nothing else like 
like the, there's people marching through the streets now and that we can plainly see are not angry teenagers. A lot of these people don't do it under um, like an, uh, an assumed name or an alias. A lot of people put their face out there, especially with YouTube. YouTube's like a huge uh, pool for these people to sort of build more or less a brand off of being a total bastard. Right. And you say, though, that they don't think of themselves as total bastards, that they think that they're the good guys. Yeah, I mean, usually they think they're, I at least, I think there's like two categories, right? You've got the people who will just sort of say whatever they can to get attention uh, and, and try to shock people. And they don't really care about their impact or, or that they have on other people um, that aren't like true, like the, the true believers, which are like people that absolutely do believe what they're saying. And it's sort of like those, it's like a, a new kind of preaching, but it's like a two minutes hate sort of thing instead of just like, you know. A, a fictional thing from 1984. And it's also usually on YouTube with some unfortunate looking person uh, spitting angrily into a microphone and spelling things wrong with like really awful thumbnails of them making a goofy face like, Buh? what do you mean? Marginalized people want rights? Right. And it's interesting because, you know, I was really, really into computer games um, sort of as a teenager. And I can remember at the time there was this uh, – it was Senator Joe Lieberman who was always talking about violent video, blaming violent video games for things and, um, you know, talking about banning them or restricting them or something. And I can remember just being furious at him, just just hating him. Um, I can And I can imagine that if Twitter was around at that time, I might have, like, been angrily tweeting at him or something. But – I can imagine doing that, you know, just like sending indignant messages to a U.S. senator because he's this powerful person and I wanted to change his mind or something. But and I just don't get this uh, this idea of just going after indie game devs, you know, like 20 something <laughs> indie game devs with such uh, passion. Um, can you help me explain how this this sort of thing happens? Yeah, I mean, I was just a convenient stand-in for other things that people were mad about. Like, it really, it's it's weird how it's, like, simultaneously the most personal thing in the world because these people are trying to attack, like, very private things of your life or, like, finding new photos or making stuff up. Like, it is very personal and that's about you. But it's also, like, the least personal thing at all because, really, you're just there as sort of, like, a practice dummy for them to sort of... uh work their frustration out on like it, it had very little to do with what my actual impact is and the the best example for that is like the fact that the biggest lie and thing that they were obsessed with for the longest time was that I had allegedly slept with a game reviewer for a positive review of my free game <laughs> that never like the review literally never existed and I didn't actually have like a Metacritic score at all until they started um, making accounts on there and bombarding it with low user ratings like it, it just it was based off of nothing it was just like I was this simulacra of you know, their built up anxiety um, with a variety of things, whether it was the fact that, you know, I'm making unconventional games and they feel like maybe somehow that's threatening to stuff like Call of Duty or Overwatch, which I play more than any other game. Uh, like, like somehow Depression Quest is threatening first person shooters, which I don't understand. <laughs> um, or that, you know, I'm not I don't look like them, so I'm a threat because I'm an outsider. You know, I'm not one of them. I can't be. And, you know, like all of the – it sort of harnessed a lot of the uh, sort of roiling background misogyny and anger towards progressive people in games and then quickly spread outside of games uh, once the people that were calling alt-right 
uh, personalities got involved uh, and sort of, you know, brought, there was this whole conspiracy about whether or not I was Jewish. So there's a lot of anti-Semitic neo-Nazi people coming in. Um, there's, uh, uh, they were trying to figure out if I was transgender. So there's that. I'm openly queer. So there was like another hate group that was mad at me. Um, and the fact of the matter is, is like, this has been happening to people, especially people of color online for way longer, for basically as long as the internet's been around. It's just, it blew up the way it did, I think, partially because, um, of this sort of industry two-sidesing weirdness about it. And because I was a high enough visibility target, um, and, you know, I think there's a certain sympathy that people might have for like, oh, this like, a uh, young white lady is getting attacked versus, you know, if it's like a person of color or like a trans person, I feel like there's less sympathy for that uh, in the general populace, which is super fucked up. No, I thought, no, I thought Sorry, that am was. I, am I allowed to swear? <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, you can, okay, you can cool. swear as much as you want. Um, but no, I thought that was so interesting in the book, how you talked about how these, these sort of same communities had started out targeting trans people. And when they didn't, when they felt like they had gotten away with that, then they kind of moved up the chain to black women and when they felt like they could get away with that, they sort of move up the power structure and see what they can get away with. Uh, I don't know if it's necessarily like a one directional ladder or anything like that. And there's definitely people who are both black and transgender and they uh, usually seem to get, um, at least my experience is like uh, work, like working people's cases, like pe trans people of color get by far the worst and most virulent and usually the, the most, uh, like the longest duration amount of hatred. Well, right. And let's talk about, I mean, you, you said that, you know, you, that you've worked to help people who are targeted by these internet hate mobs. And you say that you've, you've worked with over a thousand people, right? Yeah. I, I stopped counting after a couple thousand. Right. So this is obviously, it's uh, just a, a, a huge scale to this problem. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, there's, there's people that can be helped as, uh, easily as pointing them towards the resource center. Um, you know, where we have like guides. I used game making tools to make sort of an automated lockdown tool for people who had security concerns, but weren't comfortable, uh, talking to a stranger online anonymously while they were being attacked by strangers online, usually anonymously. Um, so, you know, trying to make those resources, uh, freely available to people is very important. Um, there are a lot of people whose cases we handled like one-on-one -on -one where it's like, okay, let's figure out what your goals are and work backwards from there. You're completely in control. Nothing's going to be done without your consent or your involvement because people have different goals. You know, some people want to withdraw and get away from this as fast as possible. And that's totally legitimate. Some people are like, no, I want to dig my heels in and like, you know, like yell at them and show that I'm not going anywhere. And that's a totally legitimate response. And some people are just like, I don't even know what I want to do. I'm just freaking out. And all completely legitimate uh, emotional responses to this sort of thing. Well, right. And you said that people will actually come to you who had been people who are targeting you and now the mob has kind of turned on them, right? And now they need your help. Oh yeah. They like to eat their own. What's that like for you when it's, when it's someone like that, who is sort of, you know, now they're the target of it. It's sad. Uh, like, you know, it's, it's been three years for me. So it's like, at this point, it's not even like I can get any sort of like, Oh, now you, like, I don't want people to feel like this. So it's not even like an, oh, now, now you feel the way I did. Haha. -ha. Like, I don't feel that at all, especially because, like, it's never just going after 
the original person, right? Like these mobs target the person, anybody connected to them, anybody that has the misfortune of sharing the same name as them, which is extremely common. Uh, like docs, uh, when they try to get your personal information, distribute it, like they'll just go based off of the name match. And there's so many people that have the same name. So like anybody that's related to that person becomes a target as well. So it's like just even thinking about the collateral damage um, from seeing another target, regardless of like how much that target sucks, um, it's, it's still like inexcusable. Cause like the one thing you can say about mobs is that they're not usually known for, uh, restraint or acting intelligently. Yeah, right. And you make this point in the book that, that nobody deserve, deserves to be treated like this, even if they have done something horrible. Uh, this, this kind of treatment is just so over the top for, it's just so out of proportion to any offense they could have possibly committed. Yeah. I mean, like, if nothing else, cause I mean, obviously, when I wrote this book, it was before Trump got elected. And it was kind of a process to try to, like, go back when I could and make small edits to include, like, things that were reflected in, in the current political situation or to go back and change something that's like this will happen if we don't do something to this is happening right now um and i had to just call it at a certain point and be like i can't keep up with this i can't keep up with this news cycle and you know there's that whole there's that whole debate about punching nazis and um you know if that's okay or not um but i want to make a distinction here because like it's it's different when it's like falsely like there's so much collateral damage and so much inaccurate information when it comes to this like when people were trying to figure out who the uh charlottesville um driver was who killed that woman uh at that rally um like they got a bunch of people wrong first and those those people got like mob attacked and so did their families and stuff like that so it's like there's it's like if you can't be absolutely sure the, and the, the second that you make this stuff public and you sort of send up this signal flare for the mob, you, you give up control over what happens next. You have to just hope that the best of, uh, best thing in humanity will prevail, which it like fairly never does in a mob setting or in a public setting or in a setting where, you know, like I wrote about this in the book. Sometimes people would try to, um, do something screwed up to someone else in my name to fuck with me. So it's like, there's so many different factors here that it's not as simple as like punching Nazis or not. And, you know, it's like, are you even right about this person's identity? Are you okay with what would happen if you were wrong? Are you okay with their family becoming like super, super targeted? Uh, are you okay with the families of somebody who's just has the name, same name as them being targeted over the same thing? You know what I mean? Like you, you give up that control in a mob setting and it's a lot different, um, from, anything that seems like remotely tactical because there's this pub public element to it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And, and I mean, when you start talking about Charlottesville and these white nationalists marches and things, I think if you're not in this world, it's hard for people to see like, how is this connected to video games? Like what, what does this have to do with video games? Could you explain how you get from people angry about video games to neo-Nazi marches in a American city? Oh my god, right? Like it's uh it's been a very very weird few years because it's there are a lot of the same actors involved because video games was just like kind of a stopping point on this sort of brewing multi like I can't even say it's like 
specifically misogyny because it was also racism it's also like uh anti-semitism it's also like all of these isms there was already kind of a train coming on the tracks video games was one of those stops and it went through me and on to the next however many people and ended up gathering this steam and and building some careers for alt-right figureheads like Milo Yiannopoulos like built his career off of coming after me like uh like Breitbart was not really a thing that the younger crowd was into uh until he saw this sort of opportunistic uh moment to latch on to what was happening to me um and then that sort of like helped build some of the infrastructure even if like all of this was inevitable anyway I just happened to be the person that the bomb landed uh on top of the head of and there's many people like me um, so it's like vi- the video games thing. It's like almost, I, I, the one thing that's been shocking to me, um, doing like casework and helping other people through, st- uh, stuff like this is like how many other, uh, scenes or industries have had similar things. Like it's not quite blown up in the same degree, but comics has dealt with this. Comics has like the ongoing bullshit fight, uh, w- with this sort of thing. Um, I had somebody come to me because there was like, uh, I'm trying to think of how how vague I can be about this without like make there with a recreate there was like a recreational vehicle scene that had like basically a gamergate like it's it's not like a thing that is unique to video games by any means it's all about this like hating people who are different wanting to, to basically try to pull things it's it's like I can't even say it's like wanting to pull things back to like the 1950s sitcom stuff because I don't even think it's that for these people. I think a lot of it's just I don't want other people to have things because I feel bad. Well, it's interesting because I was reading an article this morning about Steve Bannon and he got his start or he got started in this world anyway by doing gold farming, you know, like um, setting up these things in China where people would play World of Warcraft or whatever and sell the items to make money. And it said that he saw he was as a result of his involvement in that he saw that there was this just large group of disaffected young men in America who could be recruited, who were sort of ripe for recruitment. And 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 as as you say, he he sort of got Milo Yiannopoulos to to be his person to recruit them. But that neither Milo Yiannopoulos nor Steve Bannon knew anything about video games particularly or gave a shit about them. It was just uh, purely opportunistic. Yeah, I mean, like, uh, Milo had written a piece, like, I think months or weeks before Gamergate about how, uh, any, how people who play games are like desperate man babies who wear diapers and that pee in them and live in their mom's basement. Yeah, so, yeah, and there's just a lot of weird stuff. I mean, you actually say, um, you say in the book that seeing people who personally profit off the abuse against me being selected for Trump's cabinet scares the hell out of me. Yeah, like, how do you even really, like, it's at this at this point. It's just like I can't really wrap my head around it anymore. Uh, if you've ever read The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, there's like that cloaking device that is called someone else's problem, <laughs> where it's like, oh, this thing is too weird, so your brain automatically rejects it. Be like, that's someone else's problem. I can't even see this thing because uh, it's too weird for my brain to handle. And uh, sometimes it feels like that, you know, because like at the end of the day, like I pull back, and it's like, man. I, I could write like the most, the, like, just like the absolute shittiest OK Cupid testimonial of all time, I think. <laughs> well, yeah. And I mean, it's just hard to, 
I, I, like you say this in the book, right, that I think a lot of people just they kind of he, like randomly hear about these things and they just imagine this is not the kind of thing that would happen to them or that would happen to just an average person going about their own business that, you know, s- somehow you must have done something or, or gotten involved with the wrong crowd or something for something like this to happen to you. Yeah. And I mean, I, I just think about the other three people named Zoe Quinn that I've seen personally docs to hell and back and be like, yeah, wow, they they really must have gotten involved with the wrong people by having the same name as me. Yeah. yeah. So talk about some of these things in the book that you talk about. There are these institutions that are supposed to be making things better, right? You talk about the government and the media and companies. Um, and you talk about how they're all kind of falling down on the job. Um I don't know. It's a big topic, but uh, <laughs> I don't know. Could you just give give some examples of how these institutions that are supposed to be helping us are are not doing their jobs? Yeah, I mean, like it's it's a faulty notion for people to think that we can somehow solve the issue with more policing because uh, I think policing will prevent um, online abuse as much as it does offline abuse, which is to say, not at all. I mean, it's not like I didn't have a restraining order against my ex. Um, and beyond that, when you look at the marriage of how many people who are targeted are targeted for being a marginalized person, and at least in the U.S., the way that our police force has uh, interacted with marginalized people by usually like shooting them, uh, trying to solve one problem with another thing that's a problem for a lot of people doesn't seem smart to me. Um, beyond that, like going through the court process and actually like I, I chose to walk away from um, the DA in my case wanted to press criminal charges against my ex after I think like two years of dealing with uh, court battles over the restraining order that he was like raising money from the alt right with like shitty memes and promising to give like auto tuned like things of the testimony and bringing dates to uh, some of our court hearing dates um, after years of that. They're like, okay, yeah, now we can press criminal charges and we have a really good case. And I'm like, I kind of don't want to sign up for another couple of years of this. It's kind of the worst thing. And it's actually making things a lot worse because every time there's a new develop, uh, like a new development in the case, it's like another wave of bullshit down on me. And besides that, like, what would putting him in jail actually do? I don't have, uh, any love for the prison system in the United States as is on a personal note. Um, but like additionally it's not like the internet moves so fast that when you look at a system like the criminal justice system which is like creaky and old and slow and has to be very methodical by the time anything would actually happen like it's already forever in internet time um and the harm has been done and it's been done a million times over and you know i wrote about this in the book but you know your court case usually becomes like another vector of abuse so there there's that whole thing then there's the fact that sometimes police are participating in this kind of abuse and harassment and and things like that so that's like another thing that's just like put it's putting so much on the victims to do a lot of work to be re-traumatized to have to interact with an institution that's less likely to uh actually be on their side in anything than they are to do anything helpful and then just like expect that to somehow fix the problem and i get that we're like it, there's like a certain legitimacy i guess that some people see that would be be lent to the uh, issue if there are more prosecutions but i don't know how shoving people into an overcrowded prison system would actually help people that are being currently targeted or prevent future victims for like, which should be our ultimate goal is not just, you know, dealing with 
what's happened now, but how do we, how do we make it so that this is unacceptable behavior to begin with? And then it doesn't escalate to this point where we have to even think about law enforcement. So there's that element. With tech, it's like there's terms of service. A lot of times they're faulty and, and more than often than not, they're very selectively applied if they're applied at all. So it's like, even if there are rules, it's like I've, I've been the go between, between somebody who's being harassed and I will, I had developed all these relationships with major, pretty much every social media company that you can think of. And then some, where if someone came to me and was like, this is happening to me on this platform. And I already had this partnership where I was trained in their terms of service, know what a violation is and know that sort of thing. Go, yeah, this is absolutely a thing they don't want on their platform. And then I go to the platform and I'm say, Hey, this is happening. Here's all the documentation. Uh, I'm using the proper escalation channels and having them be like, nah. Um, and then having to go back to that person and be like, yeah, um, I tried. Uh, they know they saw and they, you know, either like, I swear to God, the excuses that I would hear, like somebody was defending this guy who had been already like banned several times and kept coming back, um, who had been posting, people's personal information and revenge porn of an underage client of mine that they were like, oh, well, you know, it was pre-transition before they changed gender, so it's actually okay. And I'm like, okay, what what the fuck? (laughs) Like, what what the hell do you even say to that? And then to have to go to this person who's, like, freaking the fuck out and is at, like, physical risk in addition to all of the emotional shit that comes with this and be like, yeah, they said to my face that they don't give a shit. Let's see what we can do. Um, you can only do that so many times, uh, before, like, really, like, that's, that's really a thousand times worse than any of the, the shit that's been flung my way. That, that and, you know, I've, fucking bizarre. Yeah. Um, it's, I wish it was bizarre. That's the thing that's, that's nuts is like, so there's, there's good people working in these systems. There always is. Um, and so often I'd see them get burnt out so quickly because they couldn't deal with that. They couldn't deal with being that person either. Um, you know, so I would go through multiple contacts at these companies, like in, in over the course of months, just because the burnout rate of being told, yeah, your job is to help people that are getting like super attacked by fucking Nazis on our platform and, and then trying to make people safer that are being fucking attacked by nazis and being told nah actually you know he uh he he posts about his lunch sometimes too so you know it's not just a nazi it's like a user we should care about it's like okay cool that that will that will drive you out of a job pretty quick because it's like it doesn't matter how many good people are in a broken system if you can go far enough up the chain to find someone that fucking sucks uh, they'll be able to override the people that are, are trying really hard uh, to make these positive changes every time. Well, and you say in the book that you're kind of burning a lot of bridges by talking about this. Oh, yeah. Like I've uh, I've uh, I've basically, you know, when I, there there was a turning point for me when I was working through uh, all of this as a as an advocate where it's like, you know what? If these at a certain point, since tech operates in so much silence, like that they are very tight-lipped about everything. That's just the nature of the industry. And a lot of the times you have to trade silence for access. Like if you're if you seem too much like you might say something, uh, or you know, if you have said something, or if you won't sign uh overbroad NDAs sometimes, then they're like, cool, we won't talk to you at all. Um so by me going out and saying all of this, and there, like there are screenshots in the book um, of some of my emails as a trust uh, and safety partner with some of these companies, um, because it's just so stark. It's like 
at a certain point, it's like if it, if these relationships are actually a detriment and not actually getting anything done. And the only thing they're doing is generating PR for tech companies to say so that they can go and say, yeah, we're doing something about it. Look, we, we, we've got partners. We're doing stuff like this. And the partners aren't allowed to say anything to say like, yeah, we're talking to you, but you're not listening to us. Um, then that just seems to be perpetuating the same old bullshit. And people really need to know how the sausage is getting made here because it's not, they're not going to change or move on anything until it's like actually a bad look for them until they actually have something to lose. And if they've already kind of silenced anybody, uh, who is working within that system and trying to talk about what's going on or like if, if people run that risk, then that makes it hard for people to actually know, like, the mass user base to know how fucked up shit is. Um, but sometimes you have to burn a bridge while you're standing on it so they know you're not fucking around. When you say Reddit and Steam, you think are the worst offenders? that You, you couldn't even get anyone to talk to you, right? Uh, yeah, Red, uh, I don't know that they're the worst offenders. That's hard to quantify. It's just uh, I could not find anybody within the company at Steam that is supposed to deal with that, like, is the trust and safety contact like that role doesn't seem to exist in the company. Um, and Reddit just is, I, I mean, Reddit is a fucking shit show. It surpassed Stormfront a while ago as like the gathering hub for white supremacists online. And it's been a shit show for God knows how long. Like the fact that they basically went to war with Gawker years ago over freaking underage, like, like, uh, freaking their jailbait subreddits. Uh, like that was like a line where they were like banning links to Gawker sites after Gawker reported on the fact that they had a lot of underage porn and stuff on their site. Like that's been it, you know, it's gotten a little bit better, but they have largely, they don't, they had, they rely on these unpaid moderators for each subreddit to do whatever they want and basically do all this work. So it's up to them to do whatever. And, you know, a subreddit that's like, a neo-Nazi subreddit that's going to have neo-Nazi admins. Like, why would they do anything? Yeah. What do you think about the way the media has handled this, this whole thing? So there's, there's people who have done some really, really solidly good reporting. Um, it was, it was kind of funny, like anytime, cause like I, I researched the hell out of everything. I've got like my, my sources folder on this is like, it takes several minutes to scroll down. Um, but anytime I saw something that was like really, really solid reporting that put together a lot of, of good, uh, sources and, you know, cited evidence and stuff like that, it was definitely Adrian Chen. I like his name kept coming up over and over and he, he's done a hell of a job. Uh, he was the one who wrote, um, who, who exposed a big part of, uh, Reddit's uh, child porn issue. Um, and he's written a lot of uh, amazing pieces since. So like that kind of journalism that like isn't about necessarily a specific individual that super sucks, but is about like basically whistleblowing on major institutions that are not doing their job um, is great. But too often we see stuff like meet the dapper Nazis or whatever the fuck that article was called, where it's like profiles on white supremacists that are like weirdly positive about them. And it's like, why would you ever do that? Like, you're just doing free advertising for these people. And I know people think like, oh, sunlight is the best disinfectant. It's like, no, disinfectant is the de best disinfectant. A lot of shit rots in the sun. And the thing is, like, you can't shame somebody who's proud of what they're doing. When they 100% believe in what they're saying and they want or they're doing this, like, in the case of, of people like Mila Yiannopoulos, where they're not a true believer, they just want to say shocking things to make page views or whatever go up. Um 
then all you're doing for them is free advertising at that point. You know, and I get the pressures that, you know, journalists are facing right now, especially considering journalists are like frequently targets of, of this sort of abuse, but also this like news cycle having to be first, having to have constant, like, you know, constant new stuff, having to have these like clickbaity headlines to try to like economically survive. I get that, 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 that makes for messy journalism that makes for people looking to sensationalize and, and it's, you have to do almost no work to sensationalize actual fucking Nazis. So, you know, there's that issue. There's the issue with like people, re- like minor things, like when you repeat an allegation, but you don't uh, actually debunk it and you don't frame any sort of misinformation or disinformation that you're reporting on uh, in its proper context. Uh, that does a really good job of just signal boosting the disinformation. And actually, there's like an issue with the way people's brains hang on to false information, where it's like, if they heard it first, it's going to be harder to dislodge. And if you don't frame bullshit as bullshit out the gate, then people are going to be like, well, I don't know, someone was accused of something, so who knows? Um, Even if it's something that's like totally fucking made up by actual fucking Nazis. So it's like, there's like a number of little things that, you know, like even just if you want to do effective reporting on the impact that these people are having on people, like why not actually speak to the victims? Why not pe- speak to the people that they've targeted? Why go and give them a microphone? Why the fuck did Bill Maher put fucking Melianopolis on TV? Like how is that helpful to anybody? Like you're just giving these people more opportunities than the people they're targeting. And it's like, Imagine like a place where the only people that were given a platform to speak about Nazis were the people that they were actually hurting. And you'd be able to get the same sort of journalistic merit and information. You could still do the same back like homework. You'd still do all that. And then you're actually putting a human face on the impact that this stuff has and moving it out of this realm of this like theoretical debate shit because it's like not an abstract concept now now you're looking at the people who have actually been hurt and there's a face on it and there's a name on it and when there's there's a situation like that i think it's a lot harder for people to go into this like shell of like trying to play devil's advocate when they really don't need to or trying to falsely equivocate like a neo-nazi and the person that the neo-nazi wants to kill like there's the the framing of these of this two sides bullshit it's there's not two sides to every story sometimes hate and violence is just that and it needs to be just that we don't need to butt that you mentioned in the book this law and order svu episode that was sort of inspired by you and anita sarkeesian i haven't seen it but you say it ends with the character saying women in games what was i thinking yeah like seem that again this seems so fucked up yeah i mean there's been there's been a number of uh like film, TV, and uh, actually uh, theater productions that have been based off of me. Uh, pretty much none of them have ever actually spoken to me, and I die in most of them, which is really kind of weird uh, to see fictionalized versions of you um, die or get raped or whatever. Like, for example, there is like somebody who is selling Kindle erotica of like me getting gang raped by five guys and stuff like that, and it's like. It's weird when you stop being a person to a lot of folks and just become like a weird sort of talking point or like an internet pop. It's like you become a meme and you're not a person anymore. You know what I mean? And, you know, people don't mind stealing your life, even if you're writing, even if you've already like 
sold the rights to your story to someone and you're writing your own memoir, they're so eager to tell the parts of your story that they find more interesting. And they're super not eager to talk to you at all about it to try to find out what actually happened or who you are, because it's not about you. Yeah. That line, though, the uh, the women in games, what was I thinking? That made me think of this recent article I read. I don't know if you've seen it. It was by John Adkins and Mike.com. But he had two. But one of them was called What Happened to the Women Who Built the Video Game Industry? And he was talking about sort of when I was growing up, you know, I'm about 10 years older than you. But when I was growing up, um, the big games were like Sierra and Roberta Williams was one of the best known, best loved game designers working in the industry. And Sierra had Lorianne Cole and Christy Marks. And Scorpia was the best-known video game reviewer. You know, and a lot of these games had 50% or more female audiences. And he was just commenting on how this 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 state of women being targeted and it was not always the case that the, the, the computer game industry used to be, you know, a much nicer place. I don't know how much I believe that. Like, just because there are women in a place doesn't mean that the quality of their working conditions is great. And just because women don't talk about harassment doesn't mean it's not happening. It's very bad for your career, usually, to speak out about harassment. So making the assumption, people should I, I, people should really not just assume that just because women exist in a, in a place and they haven't left, that it's okay there. You know what I mean? Well, no, that's certainly a legitimate point. He, I mean, he, um, you know, quotes some of these these women designers saying that it was a lot better back then. Um, I mean, I don't know, but um, right. I'm just saying, like generally speaking, because uh, that's like that's like something that people usually treat as a solution of things. Uh, things is like, oh, just like th- if we just had more women or more marginalized people in the space, it would magically become better. It's like no, you'd probably just have more people that are not having a great time. Um, and you know, being being asked to talk about your harassment is uh, you can never. If there's a microphone in front of you, you have to be very careful about what you say. You know what I mean? Especially because the first time I ever became like a, you know, a serious target of any kind of online harassment was because I talked about other online harassment that I had faced. So, you know, there's, there's context. And just because, and again, like you can't really mascot anybody. It's like you, you can fall very easily into that trap of, Oh, well, you know, it was, I, I've never been harassed, so there must not be a harassment problem. And I'm not saying those women said that by any means. I'm just saying, like, there's a larger logical issue where it's like, I honestly don't know that that was the case. Cause I've, I've heard from women that have been in this industry a very long time too, and they were very upset with that piece. Um, and I mean, even look at, look at D&D, one of the oldest games ever. Women were, like, if you rolled a female character, you were automatically weaker in it. Like, by, you had a strength cap that guys didn't have. Like, it's not like, there's never been it's not like games have ever been some utopia where there wasn't some kind of bullshit because games doesn't exist in a vacuum it exists in a larger culture where, where there's you know bullshit like this in every industry you can think of yeah so i mean what would you say to people who are listening to this who want to make a difference like what what do you think people should be doing uh i would say like one of the biggest things we need to think about is less in terms of like you know how do we who do we go after to make a difference? You know, like too, like too many people are like, oh, you know, if I just like start arguing with random people in, you know, a, a harassed person's mentions, I'm helping or whatever. Or if I just consume a bunch of, uh, misery articles, then, you know, that in and of itself makes the world better. And it's like, I don't know that that's the case. I think it's very easy to fall into those traps. Um, one of the biggest things I think we need to do as a whole is start kind of realizing that we're all stuck with each other. 
um, now that everything's getting more and more networked together. Um, and we need to really kind of, you know, be our brother's keeper in a lot of ways. If there's someone on, uh, if there's someone who's dealing with some shit online that you know and you're close to, like, look, like check in on them, just see how they're doing. Maybe you send a message that ends with like, you don't even have, don't even feel like you have to re- reply to this or anything, but I just want you to know I'm thinking about you. And if you want anything, I'm here and stuff like that. Like just little things, the sort of community strengthening uh, stuff. Like I, I go on in the, a book about how I think like restorative justice rather than punitive, like rather than like trying to punish people is sort of the way forward that we need to need to be looking at that. And part of that starts with like making our communities a better place. Um, you know, cause like the internet's like silent green, man. It's people at the end of the day. And as much, we're the problem as much as we can be the solution. And, you know, you gotta, we gotta look after each other. We gotta have better digital hygiene. Don't use the same fucking password for everything. Yes, it's a drag. Just download a password manager so you don't have to think about it anymore. Um, try not to be a dick. Uh, try not to be one of those people that, you know, is trying to build some kind of social media brand off of dunking on other people because that very quickly ends up being just being an asshole, quite frankly. Um, you know, even if it can feel good and, you know, be, it, it does make sense sometimes, but like, don't, don't be that guy that all you do is like quote tweet somebody with like a bitchy reply. Like, don't, don't be that guy. Um, you know, really start to think of how we can improve that speak the fuck up too. like if you see somebody you know pulling some stupid shit it doesn't matter if it's online or off because it's not like the the difference between those two things is eroding day by day and we need to stop thinking them about them as two different things um if you see somebody saying some ignorant shit actually say something to them yeah it might suck but you got to do it i mean it's at the point where people are marching through the streets with fucking torches you got to speak up it sucks you might lose some friends uh, but you know, the, at the end of the day, you got to think about speaking up in terms of hoping to plant a seed and not, and just be okay with the fact that you might not see an immediate turnaround. You might not, see, you probably won't see someone completely 360 on, or not 360, because that would be at the same place. Uh, 180 on opinion immediately. Um, like you're you're just trying to plant that seed in their head, uh, and and put a drop in sort of this bucket that will hopefully fill and you know, get the person to maybe think, uh, think differently or, or empathize with other people more, um, support people beyond just their suffering. Cause that's something that happens with marginalized people a lot. Um, like we just end up being like treated as if our only value is, um, when bad shit's happening to us, uh, and people don't show up to support, you know, like it's very, it, it falls back into that trap of like just retweeting horrible things happening to people and being like, wow, this is really bad. It's like, yeah, okay, it's bad, and um, speaking up is important, but, like, you're also just kind of misery, uh, becoming a misery tourist at that point. Um, so, like, actually support the living efforts of the people that are being targeted or are at risk for being targeted. You know, do this sort of growth. Think of it as just not, not just, like, fighting back against the people that are doing fucked up shit, but like, what can we do to make our communities more resilient, more caring and like more nurturing and, and, and focus on the sort of like coming together and growing sort of thing. Um, okay. So, so tell us about Chuck Tingle. <laughs> well, I mean, I know about as much as anybody. Uh, I, I don't, I don't know who Chuck is other than a good author and a, a, a good friend. Well, so how did you get, uh, how did it happen that you're working with him? Uh, shit posting. 
So, um, my friend Liz, uh, had tweeted that her dream collaboration would be if I made a game with Chuck Tingle, and I'd been a longtime fan of his work, because I think bringing absurdity into erotica is amazing. Um, so I'm like, yeah, okay, yeah, let's see, I'll, I'll just, you know, tweet him and see what happens. I'm like, hello, doctor, would you ever <laughs> like to make a game? And he's like, yes, what is game? And I kind of nerded out about the fact that he responded, and I was like, it's like art, but bad. And uh, <laughs> he sent me a bunch of drawings, and I sort of took a couple tweets and started assembling them into this FMV game that's starring, like, Will Wheaton, Mara Wilson, Dante Bosco. It, like, I've used it to, like, help broker some uh, good relationships between SAG-AFTRA and the indie game dev community, um, since they're currently striking the uh, mainstream game industry, uh, like, the Big 15 companies um, over working conditions, um, you know, uh, labor in games and working conditions in games is very important to me. So I'm like using this like weird goofy comedy game to sort of <laughs> push that forward in a weird way. Um, it's FMV. So it's like a uh, full motion video. So like night trap, stuff like that. Um, and we're doing the sex scenes via dramatic reading by a celebrity. Um, everything in the game is FMV. All of our, our characters, including the unicorn butt cops and Bigfoot pirate ghosts. Um, we've got, uh, the animator who did uh, Omega Flowey from Undertale helping out with some of our animations. So if you've played that game, then you probably know that we're going to get a little bit weird. Um, but the whole thing is really about loving yourself um, and and loving other people and, and sort of trying to do a romantic comedy that doesn't suck um, in ways that, you know, break from traditional romantic comedy forms and look at different kinds of relationships, um, whether it's like just wanting to hook up or um, people have been married for a long time or just, you know, solving some bad blood between people or self-loathing. Um, also, you cast spells with your butt. <laughs> Does the game have a uh, title or a release date yet? Uh, yeah, the full, the full title is Pounded in the Butt by the Handsome Living Video Game Manifestation of the Life and Works of Dr. Chuck Tingle. Or just the Tingler. Um, and we've got a bunch of stuff up uh, at get-tingle.com, and that's sort of going to be the landing page where everything will be. Um, I don't want to announce a, a release date until I'm 120% sure, and since we're doing FMV in a very weird way that you know is a bit experimental, uh, I'm being very careful about when I decide to, to announce that. Because uh, it's not like I can just call up the makers of Night Trap or whatever and be like, hey, how did you handle this problem? Especially since the technology has completely changed. So, yeah. <laughs> There's also this story in the book about how you uh, accepted Chuck Tingle's Hugo Award. Could you tell us about that? Uh, yeah, he was uh, nominated, but he, the uh, the award went to someone else, which was cool because like she was the person on the slate that um, had been nominated for the quality of her work specifically. Um, so what had happened was basically the same people who hate me, uh, have overlap with the same people who hate people like me in science fiction. And the way, the biggest award that you can get is the, is called the Hugo. So, you know, there, the way the voting system was, uh, these like fringe right weirdos decided to bombard it to try to make it so that like no progressives were on there and books with titles that are seriously ridiculous like sjw's always lie and shit were nominated um and were the only things nominated so they managed to get a lot like the year before i had gone they they managed to 
fuck up the awards pretty badly and a lot of uh, no awards were given where it's like these are the nominees and the committee decided we don't want to give awards to any of these so it's like a lot of people just didn't get awards at all that year and it was like kind of sad so it was happening again the second year and this was after chuck and i had already kind of teamed up um and they included space raptor butt invasion as part of their slate as like a joke um but the problem is chuck is funnier and smarter than them uh and so am i so in given that uh, as an author he really protects his privacy um he sent me as his envoy uh kind of to make uh what was it the the lonesome the scoundrels who hear the call of the lonely train uh mad or chatter or something like that it, it, we've we've been calling internally the way he speaks tinglish um so I went to, it was basically Chuck Tingle's Envoy, and I had this like whole unicorn getup. I, I was like, I don't know anyone in science fiction really, but let's do it. Um, and everybody was fantastic. Like people have these little flags on their, their badges that said, love is real and scoundrels will never win and all this stuff people had made. Cause they were just so happy that somebody was like finally doing something about these assholes in a way that was just funny and charming. And like Chuck was doing a bunch of other things on top of this, like, he, his his politics definitely do not align with uh with those those sorts of folks at all. I mean, obviously he writes gay erotica, and you know, duh. So, uh, yeah, I went as uh, I went as his representative and official best friend, and um, I had this whole acceptance speech, which was a tingler in and of itself. But I'm very glad Naomi won uh for um Cat Pictures Please because that's like a legitimately good book, and you know it it's good to see that chuck got nominated on his own merit uh the next year instead of like as part of something that you know is kind of gross yeah i mean do you think that you'll have any further um involvement with the science fiction community uh i hope so I've, i love sci-fi i mean i made a sci-fi anthology video game compilation a few years back uh with a bunch of people like i ran it as sort of a game jam and was like all right i'm gonna take I think it was like 13 teams or groups or entries and pitch me your, your idea. You have to make it playable in under an hour and has to be playable in your web browser. So people could just like play a little short game and move on to the next one. Because I really like this old like science fiction anthologies. And you know, it's, I say old, but there's stuff like uncanny magazine doing that stuff now. That's super cool. So, uh, I put, I tried to do a video game version of that. And then um, one of those games, uh, went on to win a bunch of awards and stuff, um, killing time and light speed, which was super cool. And it, it's, uh, it was really great to see, uh, one of those teams go on to develop it into something that, you know, is on steam now. No, it sounds like there's some, been some really cool, um, responses to your work. You mentioned in the book that therapists have actually used depression quest as part of their practices. Yeah. that still kind of blows my mind. Like it's, uh, uh, I'm honored and humbled that, you know, something I made to keep myself from killing myself when things were really dark, uh, managed to do any sort of good in other people's lives. Like, um, I unexpectedly recently was shown a YouTube review of, uh, this like, God, he was a teenager, I think looked like a teenager, um, talking about playing the game and like how it was like the first time he felt like anybody saw him and i like i'm tearing up like talking about it but like because again it's it's like that somebody else's problem field where it's like it's it's too much like it it, anything that i could say about that would feel like a shitty platitude uh compared to what i actually feel about it um 
So yeah, like I, I'm blown away that, you know, millions of people have played the game even before all the bullshit happened, that it was like the first interactive fiction game Steam ever greenlit. Um, you know, and I'm, I'm still really proud of that, but I'm very happy, um, to be doing comedy again because most of, most of my games are comedy, like when are Alstein's money and waiting for Godot the game, which is just a loading screen and stuff like that. Are there any other reactions to any of your other games that kind of stick out in your mind? Uh, hmm. Well, I can say that the reaction uh, that someone has had upon seeing the uh, edited together um, dramatic sex scene reading, uh, like a, a, a friend's roommate that was like an innocent bystander while I was editing, he's like, who's this um, very nice straight dude, was like, that was heartwarming and hot, and I'm a little confused about myself now and walked away. And that's probably one of my favorite reactions to anything I've ever made. I also like when people are like, God damn it, Zoe, because uh, a lot of my jokes um, elicit that reaction, uh, like have like little hidden, oh, haha, and the joke happened in your head. And I just sort of like laid, this, laid the little path there and then made your brain think of a horrible pun or something. And then people get mad at me, but it's like in a fun way. You also talk in the book about how there are all these tools now that make it easier for people to get into game design. Could you just point listeners to some of those? Absolutely. So um, I use Twine to make a tool um, called Sorting Hat, which is just at like uh, sorting h dot at, um, which, you know, I didn't think about how hard that URL is to convey out loud when I bought it. Um, but it'll ask you a bunch of questions about like, okay, what kind of game do you want to make? Do you need art? Do you need sound? And, um, give you a bunch of recommendations. Cause there's stuff like Inform Twine, if you like interactive fiction, RenPy, if you really like visual novels and stuff like that. Um, Game Maker, Stencil, um, Unity. There's like all of these things that, uh, and I think Unreal has a free version now for people under a cer certain, um, company size or whatever. But like all this stuff is free. There's a lot of open source tools. There's, uh, a really amazing indie dev community. You know, uh, I'm, I'm still making games and I still love it despite all this shit. So I think that really says something about how fucking cool games can be. Um, and, and just like how much the indie community can be great. So, uh, yeah, it's like the, that's the biggest resource you can probably have. That's great. And then I just, uh, this morning I was seeing that you, uh, have started getting into biohacking as well. Uh, I started a few years ago. Yeah, I have a magnetic implant in my left ring finger and a NFC chip in that same hand. Do you want to just explain a little bit more about that for people who aren't familiar with it? Sure. Um, the magnetic implant lets me um, be able to sense uh, electromagnetic waves like around refrigerators, heaters, stuff like that. I can feel subways pass underneath me. It's like a cool sense. Plus, I can do stupid little bar tricks like spinning coins if it's Canadian currency and telling if stuff is magnetic or not. But really, I, I just wanted the extra sense. Um, and I've had that for about three years and I still really love it. And I'd be really sad if I lost it. Um, and the NFC chip can... Uh, be reprogrammed to do whatever I want it to do. Uh, the first thing I did was program it to give out free copies of Deus Ex if people sort of high five my, my hand <laughs> to their phone. Um, cause I'm a fucking dork. Um, I think right now it's just program cause I sometimes I program my contact information in there, uh, for conferences or something. So if someone had an Android, I could just be like, here, you put your phone on my hand and now it sent me a text with your number and everything's great. Um, but I think I was showing a friend how easy it was to reprogram from my phone, and now it just pops up a window on other people's phones that just says dicks, and I haven't set it back to anything useful. 
<laughs> okay, so we're pretty much out of time. So I guess, do you have any just uh, any final thoughts or any other projects you want to mention or anything like that? Uh, yeah, I mean, definitely check out the book. It's uh, pretty much available everywhere on September 5th. We've got a book tour with 11 cities in it. I'd love to come see you. Uh, I can draw silly bees or write a bad yearbook slogans in your uh in your your copies if you come out um and yeah uh, you can find out tour de- details on my facebook fan page um and uh, find out more about the tingler at get-tingle.com we should have a pre-order page up soon because while i'm not specifying the release date yet we're getting pretty close now that also is really great. I mean, I, I really enjoyed the book. It's uh, it's a really fast read, and it's just full of. I mean, like like we were saying, you know, you never know when you or someone you know is going to end up the target of one of these internet hate, internet hate mobs. And there's just so much interesting material in the book about how to deal with it and what your different options are and the psychology behind all this. And obviously, as we were saying in our political moment, this is becoming just more and more important to understand. So everyone go check it out. It's called Crash Override, and the author is Zoe Quinn. And so, Zoe, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Sorry I said fuck so much. <laughs> I've, we've had people say fuck even more than that, so it's all good. Oh, okay. Cool. <laughs> and that was our interview. So big thanks again to Zoe Quinn for joining us on the show. And remember that Geek's Guide to the Galaxy is made possible thanks to support from listeners like you. So if you enjoy the show and want it to continue, please sign up to give us a dollar or two per episode over at patreon.com slash geeks. And if you'd rather make a one-time contribution, you can do that via check or PayPal over at geeksguideshow.com slash crowdfunding. So big thanks again to everyone who's contributed. We really appreciate it. All right, so that was our show. So thanks everyone for listening, and we'll see you next time. The Geek's Guide to the Galaxy is a production of Wired.com. For more information about the show, visit geeksguideshow.com. To learn more about your host, visit davidbarkirtley.com. Music and voiceover produced by yours truly, Jack Kincaid. If you enjoyed this program, tell your friends. If you didn't enjoy it, tell no one. Thank you for listening. 